This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and we're back from our summer break. In this episode, we have questions from Levi, Emerson, Stephen, Caleb, and Rosemary. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions. Then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Levi, who asks, which group is worse, the Pharisees or the Sadducees? Interesting question, Levi. As you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are two groups mentioned in the New Testament. Now, at various points, Jesus and the apostles are in conflict with both. They are guilty of hypocrisy, of moralism, and pride. But one thing they had in common was their opposition to the gospel. But here's the thing. If you'd lived in the days of Jesus, I'm not so sure you would have thought of either the Pharisees or the Sadducees as bad guys. From the outside, at least, they were pretty impressive. The Sadducees were a social elite that included the leading families in Israel, people who were connected to the high priest and to the temple. The Pharisees were very devout. They were focused on interpreting scripture and keeping the law of God. And together, the Sadducees and the Pharisees represented the religious establishment of Israel. Now, there were differences between them. The biggest difference, which is one that's highlighted in the book of Acts, is that the Pharisees believed in bodily resurrection of the dead, while the Sadducees did not. Some people equate the Sadducees with theological liberals today and Pharisees with theological conservatives. And while that is an anachronistic comparison, and it's certainly not a perfect fit, I think it does help a little bit in understanding the difference between the two. Today, a lot of people in the church think that faithfulness means simply being conservative and not being liberal. But if you think of it in New Testament terms, that would be like saying faithfulness is being a Pharisee and not a Sadducee. In fact, Jesus challenges both groups just as he challenges our own assumptions. Now, having said that, Paul describes himself as the ultimate Pharisee, and Paul benefited from his education as a Pharisee. The Pharisees were wrong in a lot of ways, but their high view of Scripture, that was right. I don't think that means that the Sadducees were worse than the Pharisees, but it does seem like education as a Pharisee was an advantage once the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ was understood. And now Emerson wants to know, why do we always sing the doxology? Well, Emerson, there are some things in our liturgy that change week to week and some things that remain the same. For example, we always have a confession of faith after the sermon, but the words of the confession aren't the same every Sunday. One week they might come from an ancient creed, one week from scripture, one week from a confession or catechism, and so on. 
but there are a few things that are exactly the same week in and week out. And the way we end our services is one of them. Right before the benediction, we always sing the doxology together. Now, doxology is just a fancy word for giving praise. So the doxology is a song of praise to God. That's why it always starts, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Now, why do we always sing it? And for that matter, why do we repeat anything in worship? Well, one reason is so that these words are always on our lips, forever in our memory. They become second nature. This repetition helps us remember important things about God and also gives us the words to say those things wherever we are, whenever we think of it. Now it's time for the big question. Our big question this week comes from Stephen. Let's give Stephen a round of applause. Here's Stephen's question. Is it a sin to hurt people's feelings? This is such a good question, Stephen, because the Bible has a lot to say about how we treat each other. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we need to pay attention to how he teaches us to love one another. If you ask most people whether it's a sin to hurt someone's feelings, their first response would probably be yes. After all, loving one another means showing kindness and being considerate. Hurting people is the opposite of that. If you're mean to someone, that would make them feel bad. Being mean is wrong, so doesn't that mean that making people feel bad is wrong too? Well, it's more complicated than that. Consider your own feelings for a moment. What makes you feel bad? What hurts your feelings? If someone is mean to you, if they make fun of you or say something unkind to you, that'll make you feel bad. But you know what else makes you feel bad? Not getting what you want. If you're at the store with your mom and you keep begging for treats, if she says, no, you've already had a treat, then you'll feel bad. Your feelings will be hurt. But is she wrong? Of course not. So sometimes our feelings are hurt for the right reasons, and sometimes our feelings are hurt for the wrong reasons. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the gospel to the gathered crowds, and he told them to repent of their sins and be saved. Now, many people listened. They believed in Jesus, and they entered the church. But later in the book of Acts, we see apostles preaching repentance, and the crowds are getting angry, sometimes even throwing stones. They didn't like being told that they were sinners. They didn't like being told that their only hope was Jesus. Now, they might have said, Peter made us feel bad. He hurt our feelings by telling us that. But was Peter wrong? Of course not. The point is, we cannot measure whether something is right or wrong based on how it makes us feel. We can feel bad about something that isn't sinful, and we can feel good about something that is. As Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? When it comes to judging whether or not something is sinful, we need a better measuring stick than how it makes us feel. And that standard, of course, has to be Scripture. If the Bible says that something is sinful, then it's sinful regardless of how we feel. 
If the Bible says that something is right, then it's right, regardless of whether our feelings are hurt. In some cases, because our hearts are disordered, what is right is going to make them hurt. So, does that mean that we don't need to worry about people's feelings? Should we just do or say whatever's right and ignore how people feel? Well, yes and no. I think it's important never to hide the truth because we're worried people will be hurt or mad or whatever when they hear it. Having said that, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 to speak the truth in love, which means that while we shouldn't avoid the truth or obscure it, we should still be considerate in the way we speak. You can't take delight in hurting people and then hide behind the fact that your words were true because you're supposed to show truth and love, not one or the other. Think of it this way. The next time you see me, you could walk right up to me and say, Mark, you're too fat. And if I say, hey, don't hurt my feelings, you could answer, well, but it's true. And you would be right. But sometimes we need to be considerate about the way we tell the truth. And sometimes if we can't think of a considerate way to tell the truth, we need to wait patiently until God gives us the right opportunity. So to sum up, when you hurt someone's feelings, you may or may not be guilty of sin, but you should definitely examine yourself to make sure. If you were unkind, if you were mean, if you were acting on an inconsiderate impulse, then yes, you're guilty of sin, even if what you said or did wasn't sinful in itself. But it's not the reaction of the person that makes something sinful. It's the violation of a command from Scripture. That's true when you hurt the feelings of others, and it's true when someone else hurts your feelings, too. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. Uh, First fun question comes from Caleb F., who wants to know, have you ever played an instrument? Well, Caleb, I can't help thinking that I've answered this one before, but just in case, here's the scoop on my musical abilities. In sixth grade band, I was the second chair saxophone. But there were only three of us total, and only the first chair could actually read music. I wanted to be a good saxophonist, but I didn't want to practice or work hard at it. And you can't really get proficient without effort. So after a year, my parents gave my saxophone to a cousin who actually applied herself to learning with discipline. After college, I decided to start playing the bagpipes. I even bought a set of antique bagpipes to play, along with an instruction pamphlet and a flute-like recorder to practice. But no matter what I did, I couldn't get my old bagpipes to make a sound, so I gave up. And honestly, that's probably for the best. The instrument I wish I learned how to play is the cello. I'd have a lot of fun in my library playing music on my cello and thinking about all your big questions. But at this point in my life, I'm afraid that's probably just a dream. And lastly, Rosemary wants to know, why do people have names? And what is your favorite color and why? 
Rosemary, that's two questions, not one, but I'm going to go ahead and allow it. We're back from our summer break and it's time to have some fun. So, Rosemary, in answer to your first question, it's very convenient for people to have names because it helps us to remember who's who. If we didn't have some way of referring to, for example, Caleb, that made it clear that we're not talking about Levi, things would get really confusing. Imagine if someone asked which one of your brothers and sisters is the oldest, and you had to say, I don't know how to tell you because none of my brothers and sisters have names. That would be kind of frustrating. And I suppose we could all have numbers, just like they do in prison. But personally, I find names a lot easier to keep track of than numbers. Imagine if your best friend was 4,749, for example, and your annoying brother was 4,794, and you got them mixed up. That would be such a pain. Having names is a lot easier. Now, as far as colors go, these days I'm really liking dark green because it's a cool, sophisticated color that isn't too flashy, but it stands out a little. But my feelings about colors change with the seasons, you know, and the seasons are about to change. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. So never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking The Big Questions.